Some people think revenge is a dish best served cold, but not Catherine Kaywood. She likes it flame grilled. <laughs> the man who raped and kidnapped his daughter is on the loose, and he's like, whiskey and soda? Can we move on now? I mean, if we spend 15 minutes on every 30-second scene, we'll be here all night. Someone's been looking through my photos, said Granny Bear. It's a little on the nose, wasn't it? Or the bum. It may have happened, I don't know. We clearly didn't put the same weight on it that Damo did. I mean, I really enjoyed the fact she came in and just went, hello, and he went, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The reason why Catherine Kaywood will solve every single thing that she possibly can before she retires is that she's just not a fan of the handover. This podcast was recorded remotely and may contain adult language and themes. Hello, wonderful TV DNA listeners. It's Grace here. We actually forgot to share something with you on the podcast tonight. It's something that Sarah Lancashire put on Twitter about an hour before the finale aired. And we really wanted to share it with you. Now, my mum and dad originally are from Yorkshire. So I'm going to do my absolute best to do this, to deliver this in a Yorkshire accent, uh, to give it the weight and the gravity that it deserves. And uh, I obviously apologise in advance. So here we go. This is what Sarah Lancashire had to say at the end of Happy Valley. Dear Catherine Carewood, thank you for beating up scrubs, for raising your grandson, for helping your sister stay on the wagon, for loving your daughter, for loving your son, for protecting those you love. Thank you for using tea as a healer, for firing your taser in the family jewels, for buying those sunglasses, for attending an ABBA tribute, for using words like wankatron. Thank you for standing up to men, for screaming when you're mad, for crying when you're sad, for crying when you're happy, for saying how you feel. Thank you for being flawed and for being a representation of a powerful, no-nonsense, boss-ass woman who feels anger and feels pain. Thank you for making me feel safe for nearly 10 years. We love you and we'll miss you. Queen Lancashire. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Happy Valley Season 3 Finale. I can't believe it's over. My name is Adam Hemming and just like Claire, she's always been there. It's Grace Chapman. Now this is a bit of an important moment guys. So what are we feeling? Eggs Benedict, caviar on toast or coca pops? <laughs> and hard relating to Ryan not having access to his games console. It's Damien Cooper. You're just not very... Right, saying that. <laughs> I loved that line so, so much. It was brilliant. But also joining us this week, saving the day at the last minute, just like our Winnie, it's Izzy Dixon. We've had another bit of a tussle. I won, obviously. I think I might have singed one of your crochet blankets. <laughs> Again, hilarious, hilarious line. I mean, one of the things we've loved about Happy Valley is obviously the brilliant, brilliant dialogue. And we'll talk about all of that in a moment. But I just wanted to say before we got into the episode, a huge, huge thank you to all of the people who've been listening to these podcast episodes. We've been overwhelmed and overjoyed by the numbers of you listening to our Happy Valley episodes. So thank you so much. We'd love it if you do one last thing for us and give us a a five star rating and review and a follow on wherever you listen to your podcasts and get in touch. Let us know what you want us to cover next and we'd love to keep you as listeners um but we are incredibly incredibly grateful and thankful for having you so let's get some first reactions to this finale episode grace well that was a bit of a tv moment wasn't it i don't know how everyone else felt but i was nervous all day (laughs) and then my phone was just going really mad like five minutes before it started with everyone being like here we go let's do this And then nothing, silence for the whole time that it was on. And then it just exploded again with everyone just talking about it. I mean, I'm just, I'm absolutely thrilled. I don't know what else, how I can describe it really. I know, I know it wasn't perfect. I do understand that. But for me, it hit every single emotional beat 
that it needed to. And that's that's really all I needed. And oh God, I was just thinking back to when Happy Valley first started and the two biggest TV shows were Sherlock and Luther. So two brooding men sweeping around London in their long coats. And then we get this 50-something-year-old Yorkshire woman crashing in with a high-vis and a tanked-up situation. I'm just... It just maintained that energy the whole way through. I'm thrilled. Amazing, amazing stuff. And Izzy, tell us what you thought, either about the finale or generally about your Happy Valley experience, the first time we've had you on for Happy Valley. I mean, the thing is, if you told me a year ago that my TV moment of 2023 so far, and let's face it, possibly to the end of the year, was going to be two people just screaming at each other over a kitchen table for 15 minutes... I would have said no thanks but I loved it I could have I could have gone I could have gone even longer it was great as Grace said you know it wasn't perfect but actually I appreciated that more and just what an amazing final showdown between those two characters which has just been in the works for what seven eight years for me that time has been very very condensed because I've watched pretty much all of Happy Valley since New Year's Day so you know haven't had to wait as long as everyone else but god the payoff Sally Wainwright take a bow the main lines, Catherine Kaywood. I have. Well, I've come to you last for a reason, Damo. Tell us what you thought. <laughs> <laughs> the resident Debbie Downer. No, that's not fair. There's a lot of it that I really liked, but some of the stuff I was just dis- just a bit disappointed with. We got an extra 10 minutes in that episode, and I feel like we just flew through loads of stuff, and that was just unsatisfying for me. I think, yeah, I mean, as everyone said, the actual Catherine Tommy scene brilliant i really like that and some of the build up as well but i just feel like the subplot we just raced through it and it was all kind of like oh by the way just to let you know which is just disappointing because that was all set up quite well oh there was something else i was going to say obviously it was very erudite and important but uh yeah i just that that's it for me i think the main story yeah fine happy with that Oh, that's it. There's just, I think there's also maybe one or two really cheesy moments that I was like, oh, Grace is absolutely disgusted at me for saying that. I am shaking my head right now. I mean, I can see where you're coming from with regards to those those subplots. And, And what Happy Valley's done so well in previous seasons is tie all of those different things together. I've got a kind of theory about that, which I'll come to later on. I was going to posit a theory for that. I mean, fair enough, if, if you want to save that, I'm I'm happy to wait for my theory as long as I can remember it. No, go on, go for it now. So what is interesting about this is that this show is a lot, and particularly this final episode, was a lot about strong women getting the job done. And all the subplot information that we got fed through very quickly was all male characters. So Darius... Rob, Tommy, they were all dealt with off screen. We were just told secondhand about what's happened to them. These men that caused absolute carnage and were destroyers were not given their final moment on screen, shall we say. That's one argument that I've read that I think works. I just, for me, I just feel like we could have just had a bit more time. It would have, I think it would just be more satisfying, I guess. You missed Farmer Fies off your list, but I just want to point out that, and we are jumping a bit to the end of the episode now, but Faisal, Rob, Darius, Ivan and Matager could now all be cellmates, right? Am I hearing spin-off series? Spin-off. There's basically two spin-offs I would want to see, and that is one of them. And the other one is Catherine Kaywood and Alandrova just going round the pool. <laughs> Can I just say Farmer Fies wouldn't last a second in that cell? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He's got some good drug dealing credentials. He could probably make toilet wine. He probably knows all the chemistry for that kind of stuff. Does he know how to burp the toilet wine? <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten what that's from now, burping the toilet wine. Succession, right? Yeah. Yes. There we go. Magic. Okay, let's dive in then. Spoilers ahead. Obviously, if you haven't yet seen the Happy Valley finale, what were you doing last night? But you can check the time codes in the podcast description to hear about what else we've been watching and what's coming soon. We open this episode on a lovely view of the Happy Valley, a little reminder of of where we're set, before Catherine wakes up at Alison's and finds a packet of pills. I thought she was hungover at first. She looked awful, didn't she? She wasn't having her best morning. (laughs) <laughs> a bit of toast will fix that though but it turns out the pills are Alison's probation officers she doesn't get those on prescription which raises a flag for Catherine can Alison find out where she gets them from no she can't okay fine 
Let's move on. Now we know why she's in this series, why she's come back. She's the MacGuffin to kind of solve the subplot, isn't she? Because she says, no, I'm not going to do it. But obviously we find out off screen she totally has done it. Well, I think Alison was there really as a parallel. Similarly, I think for Rob Hepworth and, and to a lesser extent, Faisal, they are parallels to other characters. So Alison is is a parallel to Catherine Kaywood and what she's going through with with the situation with you know Ryan and Claire and and Con sort of betraying her and and not things not being the way that she thought they were which is exactly what Alison's situation was right also she fixed up the Land Rover Damien <laughs> you're right and having a dodgy car right now I know only too well how expensive that can be so it's good to have someone owe you for downgrading your murder to manslaughter in exchange for free mechanic <laughs> Very true. And like, how could Catherine go off on her retirement without her fixing up the Land Rover? There you go. There's a beautiful trip into the sunset, and it's all Alison's doing. So we then see Ivan and Matager getting ready for their getting ready for Ivan's wedding. Now, I was a little bit confused about this because this felt like it was the day after Friday, right? Tommy's court case was on the Friday, and I'm sure. I haven't gone back and checked, but I'm sure that Ivan was getting married on a Wednesday, which I always thought was a bit weird. Who gets married on a Wednesday, right? But, you know, um, so I was like, have we skipped four days? I thought Tommy Lee Royce only had from the Friday to the Monday and then he was he was out of there. I think it's just the next day, right? The the wedding's on on a Saturday, a fairly common day for a wedding. I'm convinced he said I'm getting married next Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost certain he did. So, um, yeah, we'll just breeze on over that one. Yes, I did think, I did think, although the carpets weren't up to much, I thought it was some lovely wallpaper in their flat. Do you really think that's their flat and they haven't just cuckooed someone else? I mean, that's that's the beginning of this series, right, is they've cuckooed that poor blind woman. It, do you reckon this is actually their flat? No, no, definitely not. And it was a house. It wasn't a flat. I got it. Totally Sorry. In one of the rooms, there was some lovely brown wallpaper with... Anyway, I really enjoyed Ivan screaming, are you even listening, as his rights were being read to him. Let's not also forget the obvious... I mean, how how are they looking after a bag full of money so poorly? It's not zipped up, it's left on the floor. I mean... Everyone knows you have to pull up a floorboard and put your money underneath the floorboard, right? My favourite bit is when the police stormed in, one of them tried to escape by just going up a ladder into the loft. (laughs) Famously, no one will find you there. You're golden. Don't jump out a window, don't drive the back door. Just up into a small enclosed space. Isn't that a reference to the other arrest they do at the beginning where the guy gets up in the roof and he runs across the lofts into another house? Isn't that what that is? I mean, equally, it's not the greatest move. I admit, is he? But I wondered if it was that. I mean, he was not quick enough up that ladder, was he? No, he wasn't. And even then, he would never have had time to pull the ladder back up after himself. No, I think they just grab his leg, don't they? But I mean, I think if I ever turned to a life of crime, number one, I would get caught very quickly. And number two, that would be exactly my reaction if the police burst in. It would just be blind panic, make terrible decisions. I don't know, Izzy. I think you make a brilliant criminal mastermind. I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you, Adam. Definitely intended as well. So, Ryan. We meet Ryan next waking up. Uh, Catherine's popped over to tell him that the Manhunt team from Didsbury want to interview him because you visited him. He comes down for breakfast and there's Nev, who clearly sleeps in his apron, right? Is chipper. I mean, if we actually think about it, the man who raped and kidnapped his daughter is on the loose, and he's like whiskey and soda. One hundred percent. Nev doesn't get many guests, I don't think, staying, and he's just got in, gone into full host mode. Yeah, I was going to say he is a man who loves hosting. I would guarantee there is a full cupboard in his kitchen somewhere, just full of nibbles, the nice nibbles. Just in case. Yeah, his wife's died and his daughter's uh, an alcoholic who's traumatised and doesn't visit so much. So, you know, having like people over is, yeah. I wonder if also, I mean, we have this conversation and it's never uh, mentioned again, brush over that as well, about Nev asking Catherine out on a date. I wonder how much of this is old school Nev showing that he can be a provider. Well, I'll tell you where I think he fucks it and it's in this scene. So Excuse me? <laughs> I tell you where he loses the chance of having a date with Catherine Kaywood. So Ryan's asked if he can have some breakfast before he goes. And Catherine says, if you're quick. And so he's having some toast or something. And Nev starts nagging. He's nagging at Ryan about playing his games console all night. 
And Catherine's like, nah, I'm not having that. Come on, you can have a bacon butty from the canteen. Not hot, is it? I think the phrase is giving the ick. Yeah. Well, she's raised this boy. She's not going to have, you know, him him telling him what he can and can't do. I thought it was a lovely moment. That We then see them in the police station. Before that, there's other people in the room that we haven't talked about. So she's... Sorry, Adam. <laughs> sorry, sugar. So, uh, so Catherine doesn't come into the room, really, does she? She kind of hangs around in the doorway. Claire is really finding it difficult to look at her, but she it's kind of that thing that she can't really look at her, but she's desperate for, for her to look at her at the same time. And then Nev gives a bit of a shirty comment. I can't remember what it is he says now. You mean con? Neil. Not con, Neil. 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 I'm always doing that. Neil. The actor's called con. Neil, not Nev, yeah. And then Neil says something, but I can't remember what it is that he says. I think he just asks if if they've if there were any developments or something like that, whether about Tommy. But there's an element of the you pissed off my bird to it. I think he's he's definitely letting Catherine know that he's not happy about what she said about him, but more importantly, what she said to Claire. We find out later, don't we, that Claire and uh, Neil aren't talking. So there's tension all round that breakfast table. Trouble at Mill. But you still got Nev, but they're in an apron offering to make everyone eggs Benedict, just fucking oblivious to the vibes. <laughs> <laughs> but right. isn't, the, isn't that just the way of sorry, Isn't that just the way of the super wealthy? Oh, I see you normal people have problems. I'm happy to buy you out of your problems so we all go to Malaga or whatever. But actually, just like, oh yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm actually just making some sausages. Sorry, did you say something about maybe one of you being killed? Can we move on now? I mean, if we spend 15 minutes on every 30-second scene, we'll be here all night. <laughs> Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, Adam. You're absolutely right. So we next get to And then uh... someone else. <laughs> Adam. DSI Shepherd, DSI Andy Shepherd walks past Catherine and Ryan on the stairs and makes some comment about them getting younger every day, thinking that Ryan, I think originally he's he's suggesting that Ryan's a, a hardened criminal and, and he's a young and at that. But Catherine explains, no, it's it's my grandson. Does he not think that he's a police officer in training? It's not what that is. They get younger every day. That's what he says afterwards. And I think he's doing that to pump Ryan up after Ryan agrees to give him an interview later on. And I think it is a really key moment that he does that, because I think it helps with what Ryan does later on. But we then find out that we get this little flashback scene of Ryan clocking Rob Hepworth checking out his arse. I really didn't like this. This felt cheap. I mean, why suddenly have that bit so, you know, to just have just that tiny bit, what, two episodes later... It felt like, a, oh, let's just quickly put this MacGuffin back in and, and that will probably fix the that storyline. Yeah, no, I think they have hinted at that earlier. There's been a couple of little hints, but I, I would agree they've not, I, it didn't feel like they'd quite sewn it in enough. But there's a couple of comments that Joanna's made in earlier episodes and yeah, a couple of other little bits that have teased that. And I definitely was like, oh, I think he's a pedo a couple of times. But I agree, it's not it's not really been brought out enough to kind of warrant that. Obviously, we'll come on to what happens at the end, but that kind of final reveal. It was a little on the nose, wasn't it? Or the bum. Anyway, it didn't go reet deep. Oh, gosh. Oh, God, no. No, thank you. No, thank you. Cut that. So, <laughs> we're never going to get through this. Right, so, Tommy Lee Royce. Tommy Lee Royce. He is tucked up in bed, and Angelco, I still can't, don't know if I'm saying that right. Jellico? Jellico? Jellico cat. <laughs> He's moving him because it's not safe. Now, this was plausible initially for us viewers, right? Given what had happened to Ivan and Matager. But I don't think that had anything to do with that at all. I think this is all what we were saying earlier about that little look that Darius gives. Clearly, they're going to get rid of Tommy Lee Royce, get him out of the equation so he doesn't cause eruptions. Did everyone else have the same feeling as me? I mean, I think, I think to be honest, I only clocked it when Tommy clocked it. When he gets out to the car and he's there like, you're driving in the boot. He's like, I'm not going in boot or whatever it is. And, and then he opens the back door and I had to watch it a couple of times to see what he clocked. But it is that, that gas canister, right? That petrol canister. So then, then he makes up the inhaler. But it was only when Tommy said it and saw it, I was like, ah, OK, yeah, no, this isn't what we think it is. I mean, to be fair to Tommy, if I got in a car and someone was like, get in the boot, everything will be fine. Fuck no. If I got an Uber 
and they rocked up and went, can you get? I'd be like, I'm going to die. So, you know, fair enough. I completely agree with the, the situation with a boot. But if I got in a car and just saw a can of petrol, I'd think, oh, then that's probably for filling up the tank when it when it runs out. No, yeah, we're in a fuel crisis. Tommy Lee Royce is like, oh, I use that to kill people normally. <laughs> flashback to season one so when he does go back for his inhaler he makes his excuse to go back for his inhaler um so that he can select a knife and he clearly he looks through the knives and selects the beetroot knife because he thinks if this knife can cut through beetroot it's perfect for what i need it for but then he comes back out and he refuses to sit in the front it's like i mean not only is he being fussy he's being very rude at this point tommy lee royce I'll tell you why, Adam, because Tommy Lee Royce has seen a film that tells him that he knows not to sit in the front passenger seat. That film is called The Godfather, okay? He's not making the same mistake as Tessio. He's not sitting up, spoiler alert. He's not doing that. To be fair to Tommy, they're like, get in the boot because it's safer, you don't want to be seen. Then he comes back out and they're like, actually get in the front. There's no middle ground. Those are like the least obvious place in a car to be seen and the most obvious place. You should be like, yeah. make your mind up. I wouldn't worry about spoilers for The Godfather. I mean, everyone's seen that by now, right? <laughs> anyone who's anyone. I love Tommy's like calm, almost charm offensive. You know, when he gets in the back and he's like, hello, I'm Tommy, what's your name? <laughs> like, on oh, Tommy, you're in mortal peril. But that's just that's just what he's like. He's just, I think suddenly he just clicks into, yeah, I'm gonna fuck this this up. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill him. And it's just, it's actually very calm when he clicks into that. Yeah, it was it, again, we talked about this last week or the week before about his childish quality, Tommy Lee Royce. And that hello, I'm Tommy, what's your name moment just really I think it comes back throughout this episode, but yeah, I think uh, also for me, this is the beginning of Tommy's. I mean, I know his hair was bleached in series one, but this is the p- first part of his Goldilocks thing. The boot is too far back, the front seat is too far forward, and the back seat is just right. <laughs> just like a big kitchen knife is too big, a little paring knife is too small, and a beetroot knife is just right. <laughs> Tommy Lee Royce and the Three Bears. Third spin-off option. I did think it was funny that the chap he was sat next to was introduced as Marco, Marco Tommy. I thought it was funny that they didn't comment on the fact that he's got the same last name as Tommy Lee Royce's first name. Didn't you just think it was Marco Tommy, as in this is Marco Tommy? Yeah, this is Marco Tommy. His name's Marco, first name Marco, second name Tommy, right? (laughs) I think there's a colour between those two names. Oh... Sake. Adam just fundamentally misunderstanding how to introduce yourself to another human being. So we next see Ryan in his interview and he he fesses up. He tells them about the phone call on the games console. That- yeah, I love this little moment of suspense when we were just left for maybe five seconds longer where we were like, is he is he gonna? He has, he's fessed up. It was re- it was just a really lovely moment. It was great, and I think also. For many people writing this episode, he could have gone like all guns blazing, really put in all the obvious twists. He wouldn't have said anything and there'd have been a massive emotional payoff at the end. And I just think it's brilliant writing that you're like, actually, we were all like, oh my God, he's going to run away with him or is, you know, it's all going to come out at the end of the episode. And actually it's a brilliant twist that he just went, no, and told them straight away and was like, obviously I'm not going to run away with him, he's a twat. Yeah, and we get this whole conversation later on with, with Catherine where he says that, you know, I, I was never, I would never, I was never going to run away with him. It's- stupid viewers who thought that I might but um he said like you know I felt sorry for him a big theme of this episode is how she's brought him up right and that he isn't anything like Tommy Lee Royce I think by the end of this we're kind of like yeah Ryan's a good kid and he's not going to end up like his dad and this was the start of that as a theme speaking of his dad though he goes nuts in the car has a little look at Marco's tummy and thinks that's that's right for a stabbing and then he strangles Victor with his seatbelt. I mean, anyone else see that for the James Bond audition yeah. that it was? A hundred percent. I was like, he is really putting in the last bid for Bond there. That's a lovely catch. Yeah, I found this whole neck sort of, this whole action sequence essentially just absolutely thrilling. I was like, it was just, it all happened so quickly, didn't it? And then before you know it, two of them are dead and they're careering down at... <laughs> 
down the side of a hill. One of them's bundling out the front. Like it's just, it's just absolutely awesome. And I, I think this like whole section, I know we'll we'll talk about the fight in more detail, but I think what this episode did just brilliantly was those big epic shots of Yorkshire and particularly the drone shots that kind of run through all of this because Yorkshire really feels like another character in Happy Valley and I think they just really celebrated that this episode particularly this shot of the car and the fight and just that that huge sky in the background I just thought it was gorgeous. Yeah I mean I've only got one point about the whole fight scene which is that when strangling someone in a large field, you should always check for large rocks in the in the vicinity. I mean, it could have been a very different ending, couldn't it? He just happened to be next to a rock. Another of Demo's favourite moments from the episode, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I think at that point I went, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> look at the hills, Demo. Just look at the hills. Well, I guess the key things that come out of this is that Tommy hurts his ankle. Uh, I think he gets stabbed, doesn't he? He's like, he does, he gets a little, little stab in the stomach. Yeah, and his his wrist is stamped on at one point, so he's got he's he's all battered up by the end of it. I did watch this with subtitles on, and uh, there was a little bone snap in brackets. Also, it's exactly where he was stabbed in season one. So, metaphor about old wounds, perhaps. Nice. In the middle of all this, we get a cutaway scene to Catherine at the chief constable's office, and the chief constable's been held up now again. I'm pretty sure that she was going to be seeing the chief constable on a Thursday and then she was going to be out of there on a Friday. <laughs> Again, I haven't gone back and checked it, but by this point, I have no idea what day of the week it is. And I think the whole thing is a big time travel final episode weirdness. It just makes me think you're back to your weird version of Craig David seven days again. <laughs> But it could be Thursday, it could be Saturday, or it could be Wednesday. Who knows? Anyway, Catherine's got stuff to be doing, so she's not going to hang around to see the chief constable, quite right. Fair enough. I fucking hate waiting around for a meeting. And she definitely, as we know throughout all of this, she's not waiting around for a man to tell her what she can do. She's just fucking getting on with it. So she goes from here to Becky's grave, basically saying that she's she's had enough right? She's kind of the, the tiredness, you know, she's had no sleep. She's exhausted emotionally, physically. And then she goes home, which is clearly where she's not supposed to go. But she wants the confrontation. She wants to see Tommy Lee Royce and get this all over and done with. But she looks through the photo albums and falls asleep. It was a very emotional little scene there. She doesn't know he's broken in at this point, does she? Like, she knows she might be in danger from going back, but she's not had the realisation that he is in the house. That does come later. But yeah, I think there was a really beautiful bit here with Becky sort of holding her shoulder because the only time we've seen Becky on screen really is that horrific moment in episode three of this series where you sort of get a flash of her, you know, dead that she sees in the street and actually having this really beautiful moment with her, like embracing her, I think was just really, really powerful. First bit that I teared up at. Yeah, hard agree. And then the photo album, sort of watching Becky grow up and go from a baby to like a little girl to a rebellious teen to an empty page. The blank just, pages, fuck. Oh, my God. Just no no words needed, just silence, just really, really, like, delicate storytelling. After all of that action, it was just really nice. Yeah, the blank pages got me, definitely. So we, we see Tommy's gone from the field into car. The police raid beetroot man. If only he'd popped out for a small, medium or a big shop. <laughs> And then we see Tommy Lee Royce taking the petrol into Catherine's house, breaking in through the cellar whilst she's sleeping in the lounge. Oh, I was screaming at this bit. She's asleep and he peers over the, the chair. Oh, my God. I was just like, wake up, Catherine, wake the fuck up. And then the the kind of moment that he opens the, the door and she shuts it is just like, oh, just brilliant. My question is, do you think when he peered over that he saw her or not? I don't think he did, right? I like the fact it was a bit ambiguous because I wasn't sure. I do feel like if he had seen her, he would have been straight in there. But at the same time, I don't know. It's it's really hard to tell, isn't it? I don't think he saw her in there. I think it was he, he didn't he couldn't tell whether there was anyone in there or not. Um, so he was being quiet about it, and it was just fortunate that he was so injured that it took him forever to climb those stairs. But yeah, lovely moment where she has to go back for her keys, just dragging out the tension a little bit longer. I'm not ashamed to say I had to pause it here and go and make myself a cup of tea. 
But then we get this lovely moment, actually, of Tommy Lee Royce going up into Ryan's room. And again, this sort of childlike quality to Tommy Lee Royce, that he he never had a room like this. And I think this and him then going later on to look at the photo albums has quite a, a profound effect on him as a character. Yeah, and once again, we have a little bit of a Goldilocks moment, right? Because he ends up lying on Baby Bear's bed. Does he? Well, well, Ryan's Baby Bear, right? He lies on his bed briefly. He doesn't go to sleep. I honestly think I missed that lying on the bed. It may have happened. I don't know. I can't. I, but anyway, we clearly didn't put the same weight on it that Damo did. Yeah, I was trying to calm myself down at this point. We switch from Tommy Lee Royce to DSI Shepherd uh, going over Joanna's case. Yeah, again, we, we hear about the history of the broken bones and the blood all over the house. It's time to call him in for an interview. Cut immediately to Rob Hepworth being interviewed by the same chap who interviewed Tommy Lee Royce in the first episode of this series. I thought it was a nice little loop around. And we learn that Rob was, in fact, getting his oats. Confirmed Betty both ways. Chesco will be thrilled. <laughs> Again, the, the sort of interview is quite lengthy, but I think the key moments were when he asked, have you ever attacked her? And Rob kind of couldn't really answer that question. There's a whole thing about a bloody fingerprint on a chair that they were using. But I did like the quizzical look that his lawyer gave when he said he wasn't a violent person. <laughs> his, his own lawyer doesn't believe that he's not violent. And I love the, the shots of the female police officer. There was a real decision to see her face looking at him. I thought that was a really nice touch of her being like, mate, not for a second do we believe you. I mean, I think the really unfortunate stat here to pull out is that so many women who are in a relationship that escalates to physical violence will die at the hands of their partner. So obviously, yeah, it's not Rob who kills her. But another year, another two years, I think what this scene really sets up is that there's every chance that what happened to Joanna would have happened at the hands of Rob somewhere down the line. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of Joanna's murderer, we do then see a little scene of Farmer Fies locking up the pharmacy. He finds out through his receptionist that Ivan and Matager have gone down, as it were, and he's scot-free. He's able to saunter off. He has no trouble walking in a straight line. He doesn't fall over. He doesn't step on a wheezy toy at any point in this scene. A changed man. He's practically skipping down the road, isn't he? Yeah. Related, springing a step. Well, he's got nothing to worry about, right? Everyone promised they were taking the pills out of the blisters. What's the worst that could happen? Indeed. We move from that back to the main story. Ryan's asking if he'll get his games console back and will will his dad know that he squealed on him? And this is, again, really sort of key conversation in the episode between him and Catherine here because he talks about the fact that he would never have gone on the run with him. And Catherine sees that, possibly for the first time, sees that he's not going to turn out like his dad. And partly that's because he speaks up for Claire, I think. And that he says that, you know, he tells Catherine about the conversation that Anne had with him, the fact that nobody wanted him apart from her, and that he was thinking that Claire's always been there. And he says, you can't fall out with her, not because of me. That's a lovely scene, this. He's such a good kid. I just, I love this, like, slow build to you realising that he is just a normal, he's a normal kid. All these fears are, like unfounded it's just yeah it's something there's been so much ambiguity about since i think series one and it's just yeah it's a beautiful beautiful payoff i mean he did still trash his own bedroom and made his auntie claire tidy it up he could still be a little wanker yeah no one's doing that he's a little wanker. he's at a difficult age so he's probably (laughs) um let's move on well we see tommy having a cry over the albums which we've already sort of touched on a little bit but we get another scene between Catherine and claire where she says you know maybe i got it all wrong maybe i should have let him visit tommy lee royce maybe i should have had more faith in him yeah this was a huge moment not just in this episode but in all of happy valley at the moment when Catherine realized i think what she says is i suppose i was just frightened he'd be like him that he'd turn out like him but he's just not, is he? And it's so lovely because I think, Damo, you said a couple of episodes ago, so much of this is like, are the sins of the father sort of replicated in the son and nature versus nurture? And it's like this moment is when the series and Catherine goes, nah, he's just, you know, if you give a child love and shelter and comfort and support, they're going to be all right, you know? No one's born evil, essentially, is that is that moment. Yeah, I feel like this has been the sort of central question for 18 episodes of this show. Is it nature versus nurture? 
is someone born evil? That's been the central question we try to answer all along. And it's a really beautiful way of decoding that. And also her realising that actually, as much as she's tried to keep Ryan safe and protect him from all of this, there was always going to be a point where he had to see for himself. And that doesn't mean that he is idolising this guy who wants to be like him. He just has to know where he came from and make that decision himself. And all of us have to do that at some point. Yeah, I, I was watching something... Uh, I think it was yesterday. It, it might have joined. It might even have in the Elvis film where someone says strict parents create sneaky children, and I think that's that's quite evident in this because Catherine's got everything else is completely sorted and fine, but the one thing she was super strict about was the one thing he ended up being sneaky about. And I think just to add that into the general conversation about how he was parented, and I think. We kind of get a bit more of that, and that's why Tommy finds himself making the decisions and changes in how he sees things, because he realises, like we said, because Ryan's had that, he is a better person than Tommy will ever be. And it was a big scene, and, you know, we talked about sort of big questions. We've, well, Grace has had a very big question on her mind throughout the whole of this series, and in the next scene, we find out, hashtag, where's Winnie? She's alive! Adam, she's not just alive. She's Neighbourhood Watch. It did take me out of that episode because I was just so delighted for you in that moment, Grace. I was just like, oh, brilliant. We know Winnie's still alive. It was beautiful. Tiny but perfect moment like Winnie herself. Yeah, it wasn't just ours that were part of the hashtag Where's Winnie Brigade. We got a tweet from a fantastic listener of ours, Susan Perry, at Legally London on Twitter, who said, as soon as I saw the name appear on Catherine's phone, I thought of you guys. Hashtag where's Winnie? Hashtag Happy Valley. Lovely stuff. So just before this, there's a comedy phone call between Joyce and Catherine about cake and her, you know, her retirement due. But Winnie has reported the broken window at, at Catherine's house. That's why she's called. And I think it's key. Catherine does not call for backup. She wants this confrontation to happen. And we see Tommy Lee Royce inside necking pills and drinking whiskey, which was a turnip for the books. I mean, I really enjoyed the fact she came in and just went, hello. And he went, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like two people who knew the showdown was going to happen and were just like, bring it on. Are you stopping? (laughs) (laughs) But he'd also finished a bottle of vodka, right? He was getting into whiskey, but there was an empty vodka bottle dealt with. This scene almost covers my issues with the speed at which the narrative dealt with the subplot because this was just something else. Yeah, I I love the fact that he hears her coming in and so next more of the pills and then tidies up the packaging. (laughs) Tidy guy. Yeah, it's dead silent, isn't it? It's total silence. And then the key, her key, she puts her keys on the radiator and they make the tiniest sound and he just hears it and starts cleaning up. And then you hear the radio crackle and you're like, we're away now. I was like, is she going to taser him in the nuts? That's her favourite thing to do. Yeah, big long scene. And we've already kind of alluded to this. She kind of starts with, uh, and do you want an ambulance? And then she calls, she signals a code zero, right, on her radio. And there's a lovely scene of the police station and everyone rushing to to come over, although it takes them a pretty long time. Yeah, and there's, there's another moment where... She spots the knife, she gets him to push the knife over, and that's dealt with very quickly. And then she notices that he's been looking at the photos. And I've got here in my notes, someone's been looking through my photos, said Granny Bear. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Yorkshire fairy tale we didn't know we needed. Well, it is grim. It's in the middle of reading, reading him his rights, isn't it? She stops and is like, what are you doing with those albums? Again, yeah, really lovely moment. But he tells her the truth about Gary Gukowski and is quite insistent that she remembers. Well, he bit her, didn't he? It's a lovely throwback to the first episode where she's like, I recognise those teeth anywhere. Gosh, I mean, we, there's so many incredible moments in this extended scene. I mean, when he says, you've got to tell him about Gary Gukowski, she goes, you can tell him yourself, love. And he goes, I'm dead, meet me, love. And just throws that love back in her face, doesn't it? It's just so brilliant. I was enjoying it so much, but I was also thinking, God, like how this must be for Sarah Lancashire and, and James Norton to, to do this scene and have this moment as these characters that have meant so much to them and this conflict of 10 years and they're 
having this smoke it felt it felt like one take I'm sure it wasn't but it had that energy to it they've not been on screen together at all since season one they have one scene in season two where she goes to his mother's funeral and that's it we can pick up on some of the favorite moments he's kind of saying you never gave me a chance you got me all wrong like he's kind of protesting his innocence in a way isn't he and there is that whole thing of we talked about nature versus nurture and him seeing ryan's room and and all the rest of it but that he said he has options and that he could have burnt her house down but he's had a nice life and you've given him that you know it's what tommy never had there's almost a feeling of like good things have worked out different probably not i mean we you know she does remind us of all the evil that he's done and that he was he was a complete dick you just feel like if Catherine Kaywood had got to Tommy Lee Royce sooner, maybe, you know what I mean? Things could have been different. I'm not so sure. I, I think that a lot of that is, is just his narcissism because much like maybe a former prime minister who's trying to return and blaming everything on everyone else but themselves, I think it's more that, right? It's that I could have been someone, but it's not my fault. It's because I grew up in this horrible household. It's because my mum was a junkie prostitute. It's because I lived there, here, here. So I, I feel like a little bit of it, which we then see later on when we get to the moment where everything really changes, where there's just narcissism, a lot of it. It's ambiguous though, right? I think this is the point of the series has always been this is ambiguous and that we don't know for certain and there isn't really an answer to are people born evil or not. Even Catherine debates this at several points all the way throughout from season one, you know, like really acknowledges the fact that he has had this shit, shit upbringing and so much of her, I think, agreeing to take on Ryan when no one else will is seeing the like damage this guy has done coming from such a loveless background. And in like intercepting for that can happen. I think it's really important that actually we don't know. We don't know if things could have been different if he'd grown up differently or whether he was always going to be this kind of person. And I think a lot of that brilliant ambiguity is in James Norton's performance, like his ability to hit every single beat and somehow in these tiny little moments, like somehow humanize a monster. It's just remarkable. And yeah, it, it's, a, it's there's a lot of complicated feelings in this scene. I think she does do a perfect read of him though, Catherine, when she says, you're just a fucked up, frightened, damaged, deluded, nasty little toddler brain in a big man's body. Yeah, pretty harsh, right? But nailed in there. But like she said in season two, if he looked like Fred West, would you think that? I mean, look, you know, I've not shied away from thanking the costume department in previous episodes. So (laughs) moving on. I think another really important moment of ambiguity in this scene is Tommy's relationship with Becky, because this has always been something that, you know, Catherine is very, very sure their relationship was one way and it was abusive and Ryan was the result of rape. And there have been other little kind of hints that Tommy's given, I think particularly in season two, where he's like, no, I really loved her. I really loved her. And there's been, I think, in the hands of a lesser writer, you'd feel like, well, one of those is correct and there's going to be a rug pull. And actually what Sally Wainwright did brilliantly was go it absolutely was Catherine's version of events but he fully believed all the stuff he was saying was true that he really loved her that it was this relationship that it was Catherine's fault for not giving him a chance he didn't see that it was this horrifically abusive horrible horrible coercive relationship when she says you threatened to chop her tits off he's like yeah I didn't mean it you know like oh fuck (laughs) yeah I think it's also just how he's experienced love around him right yeah. So the relationships he would have seen his mum forming with other people and the relationship she formed with him gave him a skewed view of, of what love is and how it manifests itself. Him going, oh, God, I was just saying that. I didn't mean it, whether he did or didn't, that that, that it's, it's believable, like, you know, bringing what everyone said together, that it, it's so well written that it's not inconceivable that that would be a way in which he thinks it's acceptable to express love. Definitely. It all culminates. Well, I don't know if it culminates here, but there's a a, a sort of key point where he says, I don't hate you anymore. I forgive you, which is just red rag to Catherine Kaywood, which she calls him a delinquent fuck. Yeah, I mean, that's a callback to the cafe scene, isn't it? Where she goes, if he asks me to forgive him, I will. And I actually thought this is the moment we're going to see that moment. Is she going to forgive him? And then he just twisted. I forgive you her face any kind of shred of compassion that she had for him just vanished and then we get the most amazing venomous fuck off you moron 
fuck you, you bitch. And that's the like peak, isn't it? And he's just spitting at her. It's just suddenly, it's just anger and hate and yeah. And it's the narcissism again, right? It's all about me. It's all about how I think about this. So don't worry. I forgive you so we can all move on. And by moving on, he means pour petrol over himself and then become Tommy Fried Rice. <laughs> the Royce, the Royce, the Royce is on fire. <sighs> While we all recover from that, I'd just like to point out this is a perfect full circle moment because episode one of season one starts, they're trying to persuade a guy not to set himself on fire. And um, that episode, that line always really stands out to me, which is like within three seconds, you'll be screaming within seven, you'll be asking me to shoot you. Like you really know from that opening about like how painful this would be. And fuck me when Tommy, Tommy Lee Bruce goes up in flames. You know it. There's also another reference, I think, to that big kind of moment at the end of season two, where the guy's about to throw himself off the bridge. And she finds herself in this conversation where she's talking someone down from committing suicide, the, the big bad of the series, I guess. And uh, she thinks she's got it. She's not sure if she's got it. And then the person just does it anyway. She didn't pick up any of those tips that she got, admittedly, in a very tense moment from series two. <laughs> I think there's a deliberate choice in not to stop him because there's a, there's a moment where she fully waits and hesitates before she starts trying to put him out and call for backup. And remember, she knows how long it takes for this to be go from, you know, being unpleasant to excruciatingly painful. And I think she hangs on just for a beat, just to make sure he really fucking feels it before common sense kicks in and she does the right thing. Yeah, I think you're right. She can't help but do the right thing. But my only other thing on top of this is it's a little bit worrying is that that's a code zero. Everyone's supposed to be on her ASAP. They know where she is. And God, they do take their time to get there. I would not be happy if I was a member of that police force. I mean, I think she only put him out because he was burning in her in her dining room. I mean, yeah, it's, as Izzy said, like, there is ambiguity, I think. It's so hard to know. But I do think she did leave it half a second too long for a reason. Well, you, you know what that reason is. Some people think revenge is a dish best served cold, but not Catherine Kaywood. She likes it flame grilled. <laughs> so we then get this lovely moment with Catherine and Claire outside and Catherine says we've had a tussle I've won again obviously something along those lines and, and they have a, a nice a nice cuddle yeah and I don't know if, if you guys spotted this but she comes out holding the photo albums and uh that moment where Claire runs to her and and they hug each other and they hug the photos of Ryan and Becky as just a kind of image that will stay with me, I think, for a long time from TV. It was beautiful. And, you know, Claire had a moment earlier in the episode where she wanted to go and hug Catherine, but she couldn't because she was in so much pain after what Catherine had said. But in this moment, there was no question she was going to run to her sister. I mean, it was the hug we all needed desperately at that point. And yeah, it was. And then just the line, we've had a bit of a tussle. A tussle? Bloody hell. Never want to tussle with you. Just I've won again, obviously. I love because I think that was a little that was a little thing to the viewers as well, because of so much speculation she was gonna die. And I just I loved it. It felt like a real like fucking cool, so it wasn't you idiots. It was brilliant. <laughs> so I think we then got to uh packing up her office and there's her retirement parties happening. There's probably two or three cakes there. She's not really joining in with the uh celebrations, but DSI Shepherd pops in. And we have the, the sort of quick catch up about what Rob Hepworth's gone down for. And then she drops the bombshell about the pill packets and Faisal Batty. And that's it. She's cleaned up, dealt with all of the all of the criminals in the whole of Yorkshire on her last day. Oh, yeah. Just fish bash bosh, get it done. No, uh, this was um, this had my I, I loved the line we were just all singing the praises of. But this actually think, had my favourite line in the whole episode where she asks about what happens with those two little girls, Rob's little girls. And he, he just says, there's a grandmother. And I mean, she was cried. broken, gone. That was it. <laughs> it was so, it was so simple and it wasn't really heavy and it was just very quietly done, but it said so much on her face when she heard that was just yet again, Sarah Lancashire doing a huge amount on very, very little. <laughs> And for balance, I really didn't like that moment. Are you joking me? What? Damien? <laughs> There's 
But the reason is, it's not necessarily because of that. It's the moment that went after it, which then kind of tainted it for me. Where it was like, there's a grandmother and there's another grandmother and a grandfather. And I thought, oh, piss off now. Come on. I was already getting annoyed at how rapidly we were wrapping everything up. I just thought, oh, that just felt a bit exploitative for me, that bit. But, you know, I'm... <laughs> I could very well be wrong. But I think that's classic Happy Valley, though, isn't it? To go like, there's a grandmother. Oh, God, that's sad. There's also a grandmother and a grandfather. There's a little kind of little, a little undercut of the emotion. I think that's very Happy Valley. Yeah, I just hope they give Poppy a decent jumper so she can finally take a coat. Honestly, that coat. I wonder if, and it's just coming to me now, the reason why Catherine Kaywood manages to just, like, she just will solve every single thing that she possibly can before she retires is that she's just not a fan of the handover. I'll just deal with it. You come in fresh. I'll take care of the Knesseviches and those guys. Sorry, it's real loud here. Yeah, so then we get the final scene, right, of Catherine not in a police uniform or in a big coat. I, it was very difficult for me to recognise her at all, but visiting Becky's grave for one final time. Where do we think she's going? Where do we think what's going to happen to Ryan? What... Any any theories about the sort of what happens after this, or do we just not care because it's so perfect as it is? I would just like to kind of briefly interject here and say, really appreciate putting the sunglasses on. Perfect throwback because we started in episode one where she buys a pair of sunglasses in the news agents. Yeah, I loved that. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, to be honest, like obviously, I assume Ryan will live with Claire, or maybe even at Neverson's Airbnb. But I think. I think for me, like this final scene, when I was watching it, I was reminded of Claire's line in the cafe again of imagine, you know, if this brought us all a bit of peace, wouldn't that be something? And the main thing I got from this was peace. Obviously, we get the text about Tommy Lee Royce, which sort of finalises everything in terms of that. But it just felt really, yeah, calm and peaceful. And I think that's that's the right that's the right emotion to end on it's what we needed i think yeah i wonder if catherine and never kind of offer a never ending round of saga cruises if that's what they're going to do no oh, they're going grappolos mate <laughs> i kind of hope that ryan is is going off to the himalayas with catherine she won't she wait for him to do his gcse's and then they'll both go off to the himalayas together in the land rover that's yeah, very sweet, adam but she's going on her own are you joking she needs some time on her own. I kind of like the fact we don't know. They're like we've been with this character for so long. We've been we've been there for ten years, and actually now it's none of our business. She's off on our retirement, and we could fuck right off out of it. <laughs> well, I mean, what a show, what a series. I think it was really fitting that this final episode focused on Catherine Kaywood and, and Tommy Lee Royce so much because they've been so much a big part of, of it from the beginning. Brilliant performances, I thought, from all of the cast throughout not just this series, but all three of them. The writing has been incredible from the very first line, as as he was saying earlier on. Yeah, I will definitely miss it. I think it's it's been a perfect three-season show. Any final thoughts? Hats off, Sally Wainwright. Absolutely. I just, I can't wait to see what Sally Wainwright and Sri Lanka should do next. It's Happy Nappy Valley Galley, isn't it? That's the next show. You know, there's that like famous thing that goes around on Twitter quite a lot. People are like, if you could recreate any film or TV show with the Muppets and you have to keep one actor, who would it be? And I now know it would be Happy Valley with Sarah Lancashire as the only human being. Everyone else is a Muppet. (laughs) Right, well, let's leave Happy Valley there then. We've gone long, so let's quickly cover what else we've been watching. Grace? Nothing much to report from me as ever. Just more Better Call Saul. What about you, Damo? So I have watched some more Andor. Andor what? Andor what? Andor what? Hey! Full House. I watched Alan Partridge Stratagem, which is on Amazon Prime at the moment, which is a recording of the live stadium show that he did and was disappointed, I have to say. It's poor Partridge. I think fans of Alan Partridge are better off. I think listening probably from the Oast House, if you haven't listened to that, better than Stratagem, I think. And then Adam and I and Neil are trying to watch all the films nominated for the best film, the Oscars. And so I did a bit of a run on those films. And I watched Top Gun Maverick, Elvis and Triangle of Sadness. 
Yeah, I watched both of the last two that you mentioned of those as well. I really enjoyed Triangle of Sadness, actually. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant film. Can highly recommend that one. Yeah, I think there's some really good performances in Elvis. Tom I Hanks. actually love Elvis, but I know it's had very mixed, people have very mixed feelings on it, which I can see why, but really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think Tom Hanks sounds like Winnie the Pooh a lot during the film. I couldn't really get past that at points. Both those films are brilliant. I think Top Gun Maverick is an absolute waste of time. I mean, I had very low hopes for Top Gun Maverick. I just don't know what the point of the film was other than a nostalgia fest. They're training these pilots to attack a nuclear reactor in another country, but we're never told what that country is. And there's like a really generic Asian-looking emblem on the fighter planes. I just, yeah, it wasn't for me. I did really enjoy Elvis, thoroughly enjoyed it, but um, there's a, there was a whole sequence in Triangle of Sadness that will live very, very long in my memory. It's just, if I hadn't seen Everything Everywhere all at once, it would be the most brilliantly bonkers film I'd seen in a long time. Triangle of Sadness is, is a big recommendation. I don't think it's going to win Best Picture, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Just you saying Triangle of Sadness has reminded me of something else that I watched and I'm still piecing myself back together. Episode three of The Last of Us. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, Nelly. Listeners of the pod can obviously tune into our summaries of The Last of Us if you need support after that difficult, difficult episode. I went straight to you and I was I was grateful for your support. I mean, my favourite bit was when I was, oh, I was a woman on the edge. And then they just start playing Max Richter. Who the hell do they think they are? <laughs> yes, well, we're going to be back this week with our with the fourth instalment of The Last of Us. So that will we'll be continuing with those podcast episodes, even though Happy Valley has come to an end. Izzy, have you been watching anything else? Yeah, this is where I make a sort of shameful confession on the podcast um, to all listeners um, that I really fucking love any shows that focus on home improvement, like storage solutions. That kind of stuff. Very much my jam. So I am I'm really, really into Sort Your Life Out in Seven Days with Stacey Solomon. Thoroughly recommend. What basically happens is that Stacey Solomon and a team of experts go into the house of someone who is like drowning in clutter and the house is a mess. And then they take all their belongings out, all of them, put them in a warehouse. And then the family have to throw like half of them away. And in the meantime, they're like deep clean the house. They upcycle some stuff. They got some genius storage solutions. Then they put everything back. If it sounds really weird and like not something a 32-year-old should be watching, you're right. But give it a go. My question is, has Craig David ever been on it? I can only hope. Season finale, maybe. It probably wouldn't be safe for TV, though, would it? Most of the week. <laughs> uh, well, I have been oh, watching. Yeah. What have I been watching? I've been watching. Ah, oh, so every, Everyone Else Burns. I finished Everyone Else Burns. Has anyone else watched any of this? How was it? Yeah. I got better and better and better. I think it takes a really unexpected turn at the end of episode five. But yeah, I enjoyed it more and more as it went on. I think the point at which you connect with the characters is when the show gets funny and naturally anyway. And so I think it's kind of a perfect combination. Um, but yeah, I would recommend that. Six episodes, uh, good, good fun. Also remember the other thing I'm watching very avidly at the moment is Shrinking. Which you know, we've talked about on the pod previously, but I am three episodes. Well, it's only been three episodes, but I'm caught up to speed with it now. And I am really 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 loving it i thought that third episode sort of was yeah took it up a notch again um but it is yeah a really really brilliant comedy that's on the moment thoroughly enjoying that as well as i am extraordinary which again i've talked about before um i've really picked up anything new this week i've held off on nolly and dear edward and your honor that we talked about last week what might tempt us this week though what's coming soon i'll start with consent Consent comes out tomorrow at the time of recording, so Tuesday the 7th of February on Channel 4. It's a, it's a single 60-minute uh, factual drama that captures what it feels like for young people in an environment where sexual expectations are distorted by the instant access to porn and where the lines of consent are minimised. This is written by Emma Dennis Edwards, who performed in the original Saving of Santa show at the Space Theatre quite some time ago now and she's now become a rather brilliant playwright and this is I think it's her, her TV uh, debut the first thing that she's written for TV uh, really really chuffed Emma played a, a, an elf comedy elf in the Saving of Santa and it's brilliant that she's gone on to do such incredible things this I think is going to be quite a upsetting watch as a piece but quite an important one as well 
It's got a young cast, which includes Ty Tennant. Do you know who Ty Tennant is, anyone? He's an Apo baby, isn't he? He's the son of David, but he was also young Egon in House of the Dragon. Yeah, and is he adopted? He is, yeah. It's Georgia Moffat's son, um, but David Tennant's adopted son. Because they have exactly the same nose. How does he smell? (laughs) Sorry. There's Funny Woman coming up, isn't there? Which I think looks pretty good, which is based on a Nick Hornby novel. Yes, based on Funny Girl by Nick Hornby. Uh, And yeah, that's Gemma Austin, I think is brilliant. So, And also anything set in the 60s is totally my bag. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, she plays a Blackpool beauty queen seeking fame as a TV comedian. Uh, and that's coming out to Sky and Now TV on the 9th of February. Is that Friday? Thursday. And for those looking at what will be filling the Happy Valley space, the gold starts on the 12th of Feb in that Sunday night 9pm slot on BBC One. Um, so it's a BBC One and Paramount Plus co-pro Starring Jack Loudon, Hugh Bonville, Dominic Cooper, no relation, and Charlotte Spencer. In a drama about the infamous 1983 Brinks Matt heist. And I've been told there is no Phil Collins anywhere. (laughs) Jack Loudon, give a little shout out for Jack Loudon, who's brilliant in Slow Horses, which if you haven't watched yet, you should. Just remind us what that's on again, Adam. Slow Horses is on Apple TV. (laughs) Plus. (laughs) Other subscriptions are available. Um, but none are as good. Uh, speaking of Apple Apple TV Plus, I am I'm now caught up with all of the old seasons of the servant. And I'm into the new season, which is being released episode by episode every Friday. And it's brilliant. It's so, so good. The ending of the third season, I'm so glad I didn't have to wait a year before finding out what happened after the ending of that third season. But it is just getting better and better. Highly recommend the servant. So I think we need to formalise. If we're going to have an Adam's Apple section, we we need to do it properly going forward. Can I have a jingle? I'll see what I can do. <laughs> okay. Any any news that we want to talk about? I think one thing we should talk about is old EL Netflix making us stop sharing our passwords with each other. I'm screwed. Yeah, I mean, how are that? that? This has come up before, though, right? They're also they're going to clamp down on it, and do they? I know that Now TV have a thing where you can only have it on so many devices. So, like, you can have it on like five devices or something like that. And then if you, like, if you, if you know, if you stop using a phone or whatever, you can remove that device and then add another one, which feels like a sensible thing for me. So I believe that's what you get with the more expensive Netflix packages. Because I've had I've had to occasionally move to a, a bigger package, Ooh. and that's because there's only so many devices that you can have things saved on. So I think the normal packages you can only have shows downloaded on two devices, etc. So I think it's strange that 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 they went for that. And obviously the problem is right. They set classic thing of oh we're we're losing the number of uh, subscribers. What could we possibly do? Oh, I know what. Let's piss off a whole load of people who are still subscribing. My first reaction was to be like, well, fuck you, Netflix. I'm going to move on. I'm, you know, I'm in a committed relationship with Apple TV and Now TV now. Um, but then I realised how much Unsolved Mysteries I love to watch on a regular basis. Great show. Great show. I highly recommend. Unfortunately, my love for true crime means Netflix will probably always have me. I am pretty desperate to try Paramount+. Plus for a little while at least, partly because of your honour and Top Gun, as I said last week. So I was considering what what streamer could I do without for a little while, maybe. And it's not going to be Apple TV, and I'm still watching The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, and we've got Succession and stuff coming up on, and The Last of Us on Now TV. So it, was, it just left Prime Video. So I might have to, you know, drop my, my free shipping and give Prime Video a break until The Power starts. Oh, I'm so excited about this. So The Power was a novel by Naomi Alderman. Yeah, who's like very much compared to Margaret Atwood um, in the sort of sci-fi, yeah, kind of sci-fi, like dystopia kind of vibe fiction. Yeah, it's a very good book and it looks like it's going to be an exciting TV show. It's got Tony Collette and John Leguizamo and Tohib Jimo from Ted Lasso. Grand, anything else that we need to cover? Who would like to take us through the social media platforms? 
I'll do it. Well, if you want to tell us uh, what you've been watching or tell us what we should watch, um, you can get in touch with us at TVDNAPod on all social media platforms or you can email us on TVDNAPod at gmail.com. <laughs> Excellent. And we're also, uh, we should probably say that we're hoping to have news fairly soon of a live show, our first ever TV DNA live show, which we will have in person at the Space Theatre and streamed live online to the internet to celebrate two years of TV DNA. Yeah. So all our listeners in Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, don't worry, you can still enjoy if you pay for the stream. We should probably also let our listeners know that we're not just doing this to line our pockets. I know Adam obviously has a lucrative sponsorship with Apple TV, but this particular event is the the money raised is going to a good cause, isn't it? Yes. Um, so we'll be raising money for to uh, the space lift campaign, which is uh, to replace the lift at my old converted church venue, um, which has been breaking for a while now, and will enable. Um, people with access needs to uh, get from our ground floor up to our wonderful little cosy cafe bar. I can think I can speak for all of us on today's podcast where I can say that all of us have at some point been stuck in that lift. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. Grace, are you going to come back and talk about some other stuff you've been watching maybe every now and then? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to grieve Happy Valley for a while. Thank you so much for sharing this with, with us for the last six weeks. It's been a, a pleasure as ever. 100% loved every second of it. And Izzy and Damo, we'll see you on the Last of Us podcast episodes. I'm actually going to go and watch that right now because I'm up to speed. So who's got a Happy Valley finale line to see us out? I take your Marbella's off the menu. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>